Welcome to another inspirational message from City Life Center Church. If you are ever in the area, come visit one of our services. We would love to meet you. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Are you well? Do you like who you're sitting next to? Turn to the person next to you and say, you look good today. And touch the other person who I want to acknowledge was your second choice and say, I did my best. And we're going to, before you're seated, we're going to have, we're going to have fun today. And, and I'm going to, my assignment is to encourage you. And, and I want to acknowledge the fact and, and thank you for being here today. And I know that a lot of people, and some people in here specifically, went through a lot just to get here today. Um, they fought through a lot of resistance and darkness. And, and uh, I want to let you know that I respect you. And I believe that God has a word in store, custom fit, just for you, in Jesus' name. Do you believe it? Awesome. Awesome. I, I want to preach a message that I call positioned for a purpose. Positioned for a purpose. Everyone say positioned for a purpose. Positioned for a purpose. I believe that each person in here is positioned for a purpose. I don't know what you've been into this last month. I don't know what mistakes you made this last year. I don't know how much time that you think that you wasted, but I believe that the grace of our God is bigger and I believe no matter what you think, no matter what lies you believe, that you are positioned for a purpose by God's grace. And, and, I, and I'm excited, but before we go in, I like, to, I like to pray. And the reason that I do that is I feel like it aligns uh, what, what I'm going to say, and it unites our hearts together, and, and it, it kind of brings a sense of unity. So will you pray with me? Yeah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these brief moments that we have together. God, we, we open our hearts to what you would have to say directly to us, God. God, I, um, I pray that anything that would distract someone's mind or emotions, that, that, would, that would just leave and depart in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that in Jesus' name that people who walked in here today sick can be healed. God, I thank you that in Jesus' name people coming in here with discouragement and lack are going to leave here full of hope and full of life and that people's eyes are going to be lifted toward the hills for the life and the future that you have for them in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that when it's following you, the best is truly yet to come. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, and everyone said, you may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you, pads. Thank you. Ooh. Does anybody enjoy primitive camping? By show of hands. Does anybody enjoy primitive camping? All right, everyone, keep your hand up. All right, everyone look around, and I know this is church, but what's wrong with you? <laughs> Everybody else who maybe dis would say, I despise primitive camping, put your hand up. My people, my people, if there's no electricity, if there's no toilets, I'm out. And the thing is, the thing is, uh, how many of you guys know someone who thinks that they are a primitive camping expert? Okay, we know a few of those. And there's one that's sitting in this room here today, in this section, area. Now, now my dad, um, as many of you may know him, 
he, he is a great guide. And, and if you want to be navigated through the streets of New York or London, he is your man. He knows the way, the subways, the byways, the highways. He can figure out where to go and how to get there. But when it comes to the wilderness, <laughs> when it comes to the wilderness, dad thinks he's Bear grills, but he ain't. <laughs> Not one, but two near-death experiences on camp, uh, in camping. Now, let me, let me tell you, this took place two years ago off off the coast of Florida on an island. So dad decides that we're going to go camping on this island. He calls these our man trips, right? And they're to, like, uh, make us more rugged or whatever. So, so, so we're, out, we're out on this island off the coast of Florida, primitive, nothing out there. And dad has the idea that he is going to fill all of our supplies out, that we're going to be staying out there for three days into kayaks, and we're going to uh, row our kayaks over. I don't know if you row kayaks. What do you paddle them? Pa paddle kayaks. Okay. I'm an expert. So we're, we're going to paddle our kayaks out, but what we, didn't, what we didn't realize, or Dad didn't realize, is once we got to the water, we put all of our stuff on it, and there wasn't enough room for us. So guess what? We had to swim our kayaks to the island. Three days and nights of primitive camping came and went, and and on the last day, we, had run, we were running low on water, and <laughs> we were out of food. And it was the day that we were to make our journey home. And so we get our kayaks, and we load it up with all of our stuff, and we bring it out into the water and into the, to, the, to, the, to the waves. And, and, and all of a sudden, we, we, start, we start pulling and trying to swim our kayaks. I have one. Dad, uh, Dad has one, and Devin has a little raft that he's pulling with stuff. And so we're out there, and all of a sudden, the waves just begin to smash on us, right? We're just getting smashed by, wa by waves. And I'm, I'm pulling, and, I, and at that point, you can't really uh, be cognizant of what everyone else is doing because you're so focused on trying to keep your, your kayak afloat. And our, and our kayak has our tents and pillows and supplies and, and everything. And, and so we're moving, and after about 20 minutes of trying to, trying to swim toward the waves, we realize that after 20 minutes, we have made no progress. <laughs> Because what we failed to calculate is we were swimming against the tide, Dad. And <laughs> what happens next is truly miraculous. And you may not believe me, but I have the mic. What happens next is as we are swimming, pulling, pulling the kayaks, a huge wave comes, smashes Dad. Dad goes underwater. The kayak flips over. So I hand my kayak in a way off to Devin, and I go back to where Dad is and, and to attempt to help him flip the kayak over. And what he says surprised me and has scarred me to this day. As I began to, flip, to help flip over the kayak, he looks at me and he goes, Don't help me! I'm like, what? He's, Get away! Don't help me! Okay, okay, Dad. So I'm over to, at Devin. I'm like, oh, what's, what's his problem, Dad, you know? So, you know, sometimes we just, brothers get together and we just roll our eyes. We don't even have to say anything. We just go, Dad. <laughs> so we decide to pull out, load everything back up. And we actually make the decision to go to the other side of the island where the tide wasn't and, and, uh, and paddle our way through. So we end up getting in the on top of the kayaks and, and, and start paddling. So we hadn't yet to this point paddled in kayaks. 
And when we get in the kayaks, no, no, this just gets better. We get in the kayaks, and all of a sudden, Dad goes off ahead with Ian, and Devin's paddling, and he's doing great. And all of a sudden, I realize that I'm behind, but I'm the oldest, and I'm supposed to be the best. And, and I'm, I'm getting to this point in life where my little brothers are becoming better at me than stuff, and I don't like it. And I'm paddling really hard, and, 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 and Devin and Dad and Ian just seem to be shooting ahead. And, and, I, and I'm just feeling, like, small and inadequate because I'm pulling, and, 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 and I was like, Devin, yeah, how are you going so fast? He looks back, and he goes, push on it like it's a pedal. And I'm like, a pedal? A pe- it's a piece of plastic. What do you mean a pedal? And I'm pushing, and I'm, and I'm striving, and I'm trying so hard. And, and they, they go ahead, and they go ahead and farther and farther ahead, and, and I just get more and more frustrated and angry at my performance. And, and Dad and, and Ian, they, they get to the shore, and they begin their, their trek through the sand dunes all the way to our truck. And I pull up moments later, just frustrated. I'm just, I'm heated. And I pull my kayak up to the shore, and, and I grab it, and we've got to drag it through the sand dunes. And Dad and Ian are already off, and Devin's kind of waiting around for me. He's more the mediator of the family. <laughs> And so I'm, pu- I'm pulling the kayak, and I'm frustrated, and I'm angry, and I'm just exhausted from paddling. And I can't figure out why my brothers and dad aren't exhausted. And, and then we be- I begin to pull it over the sand dune, and all of a sudden, I lose my balance, and I drop the kayak. And all of a sudden, stuff's spilling out everywhere. And Devin drops his, and he, com- he, com- he comes over, and I look at Devin, and I kid you not, and I say something that I have regret to this day. I said, Devin, don't help me! And then at that moment, I realized what I had just done. I looked at Devin, and I said, did I? He looked back at me and goes, yeah. <laughs> Man, I was so frustrated in my performance that I forgot the entire purpose of the trip, which was to get back home safe together. And now I want to ask the question today, I wonder who here today has been so fixated on your performance in life that you forgot your own purpose. You can't have both in life both performance and purpose. And living a performance-based life, I'll tell you what, it's enticing, but it is toxic. And I, and I know because I live there. It's a constant struggle fight every day to move out of performance and into my purpose. Man, you can always tell when someone's living performance-based. Usually when people are, and what we do, and I've done myself, we use exhaustion as a status symbol. How are you doing? Oh, exhausted. Let me tell you how hard my life is, performance. You can tell someone's living by performance when they use the word busy a lot. Man, I'm just trying to stay busy. How, how come staying busy has become a status symbol? Just, are you staying busy? Man, and I think that oftentimes busyness and we're, we think, though, if we can just stay so busy that the truth can never catch up with us. Busyness. What else do we do? We use our productivity as our self-worth. Performance-based living is enticing, but it's toxic. And there's someone in Scripture that finds herself in a similar place. Go with me to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. And literally, 
I'm so excited about this because I, I don't know that I, and I've grown up in church, have ever really heard uh, a message or remember a message on Esther. I'm so excited about this. And here's what's interesting, and it was more difficult to, to preach this text, was in the book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned once. Very interesting. Although I believe by the end of our time together, we're going to discover that God is all woven through the entire story. It's a beautiful narrative, and it takes place in modern-day Iran, which was uh, Susa, uh, the capital of ancient Persia. Uh, uh, For all you history buffs, it's approximately 475 B.C. King Xerxes, who had recently returned from conquest in Greece, was frustrated. And, and what happens is in his, in his kingdom, in his throne room, his wife makes him angry, okay? He calls his wife. She doesn't show up, and it embarrasses Xerxes. So Xerxes banishes the wife and sends her, sends her off and decides to have and find a new wife. And the way that he decides to find a new wife is he holds a beauty pageant. He sends all his minions out, find the most beautiful girls in the land, bring them all together. And of those girls is our next character, is a beautiful young lady by the name of Esther. Esther, miraculously, is chosen by Xerxes to be his queen. Now, queens in those days aren't like the queens that you imagine today, like the queen of England. The queens in those days had no, no right. Basically, their job is to sit still and look pretty, bum, 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 that's it. And and that was Esther's job, and, and we, find, we find Esther in this moment where she hadn't even seen Xerxes for 30 days. She's just supposed to stay aside, sit still, and look pretty until Xerxes wants her. So during this time, Esther becomes queen, right? And this character who is divisive, manipulative, by the name of Haman comes in. Haman is an Agagite, which is a a Canaanite, for those of you uh, who enjoy biblical history, who had come and rose to almost the second-hand man to Xerxes, uh, an official, now, Haman is easily disgusted, easily angered, and after he is promoted, Haman is, is, is marching through the street, and all the officials are to bow at this time. But there is a man who does not bow, which is the next character by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai turns out to be the cousin of Esther. All right, see how it's tying together. So Haman gets so angry that Mordecai didn't bow, didn't kneel down, And he finds out more about Mordecai, finds out he's a Jew. Now, Haman is extremely, extraordinarily racist, right? You see racism today, man, back with Haman, he is one of the worst of the worst, comparable to Adolf Hitler, and you'll see here in a moment. Because what Haman does is he goes to Xerxes, devises a plot, a scheme, because of his offense— to have Mordecai killed, but not only Mordecai, but the entire Jewish nation. Slaughtered boys, women, and children, little boys and girls, because of his offense towards this race, the Jews. And we find Esther in this moment in Esther chapter 4, verse 9, in this place of tension, Mordecai had sent a letter to Esther informing her of the situation as he was an official and found out the word of what was going to happen. The decree was to be sent out. And he was telling Esther, Esther, you are in a position that you can speak to the king. You, uh, you are in a position where potentially, maybe, hopefully, this decree can be altered or changed. And we pick up on Esther's reply in 
4, verse 9, Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, Mordecai in, respond, in response, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, and that is to be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. In other words, Esther is saying, Mordecai, here's the thing. If I walk in there, the law is I can be put to, put to death. And, I'm, and, and Esther is saying, Mordecai, it's been 30 days since he's even called me. I'm obviously not even doing a good job at my one job in life, which is looking pretty. I don't think I'm the right person for the job. And Mordecai, once in verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. What he says next is, is so significant. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. In other words, Mordecai is saying, Esther, like I know you're scared, and I know you don't understand exactly what to do, and I know you feel uncomfortable and unqualified right now, but Esther, what if you were positioned for this very purpose? What if you were born for such a time as this? And I want to tell somebody today who feels unqualified, inadequate, and in a standstill in life, and maybe you're running from a problem, what if today God is telling you that you were born for such a time as this? You weren't intended to be born in the future. You weren't intended to be born in the past, so somebody needs to stop living in the past. As long as you're living in the past, it's going to define your future. You were born for today, not tomorrow, not yesterday. You were born for this very purpose. And I want to ask the question, I wonder who, who here today has been running from some trouble that now that you know you're born for it, you need to start running towards trouble. That's who we are as Jesus followers. We don't run away from trouble. We run towards trouble. Not, not to bring conflict, but to enter in and bring peace. You were born for such a time as this. That family member who's sick, you were born for this. That tension that you're feeling relationally, you were born for this. All the trouble that you're experiencing in work, you were born for this. I want to ask the question, where has God positioned you? And God had positioned Esther in a place where she could approach the king. But God has people in your life where he has positioned you to be able to go and speak to them and change somebody's world. Where has God positioned you? Esther, God had given her essentially the ability to look pretty. And, and later she begins to, she throws parties, she throws a party to, to begin to sway uh, Xerxes, the king. And, and God gave her the ability to be pretty and to host parties. 
If God can use an insecure supermodel, he can use you. You were born for this. Next. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Now go gather all the Jews who are at, in Susa, which is the capital of Persia, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And if I perish, I perish. Wow. Now, I want to ask and observe in the text, what happened from the point where Esther was totally closed off to the idea of walking before the king and getting to the state where she was able to say, if I die, I die. I'm going. What happened in that time? And I believe the answer, which is, I feel the central point of this text, and what Esther's motivation was, is for somebody here today. What Esther had to realize before she was willing to step out and say, if I perish, I perish, Esther had to realize that there's more at stake than me. There's more at stake than just my life, my family. There are little boys and little girls who are going to be killed. There are families that are going to be destroyed. And when I realize that, and that can be a number to me, but when I realize that and I think of the faces and I feel it, I can walk before anybody. And if I perish, I perish. What Esther realized, which is what I think the message is for us today, your purpose is less about you than you think it is. Your purpose is less about you than you think it is. There, you know what, church? There is freedom that comes in living life like it's not about you. You're able to walk into any situation, any difficulty, with that mind frame, with that state. It's not about me. So if I perish, I perish. If they don't message me back, you know what? They don't message me back. If I don't get the job, I don't get the job. I'm going to go on to the next one. If they don't love me in return, they don't love me in return. I'm not going to stay closed off and live numb the rest of my life. If I perish, I perish. If they break my trust, they break my trust. But I'm going to live the type of life where I trust and trust and trust again in Jesus' name. Your purpose is less about you than you think it is. Will you stand with me? What's beautiful is Esther does go before the king and what happens is miraculous is he extends the scepter which represents grace. And Esther calls a party and and uh, has Xerxes and Haman over and, and ends up foiling the plot and the very devices Haman created for the Jews were used on him. But yet I ask the question, where is Jesus in the text? Where is Jesus? And I want to answer that by telling you a brief story. 
So growing up, my brothers and I for a time were homeschooled, which, that, which means while everybody else was playing football, we were playing Lord of the Rings, okay? And my little brother, Ian, and do you have a picture of him? Yeah, there he is. There he is. That's, that's little Ian. And, uh, and it was probably a, year, a couple years before that. So Ian loved playing Lord of the Rings. And so every time we would play, he would say, Ian, who are you going to be? Without fail, every time, you know. I want to be Sam. <laughs> Sam, which is a fictitious character from Lord of the Rings that was pivotal to the plot. I want to be Sam. <laughs> Samwise Gamgee. That's how he talked. I want to be Samwise Gamgee. And so when we would play, and we would, we would pretend, um, oh, no, Ian, I mean, Sam, there are orcs coming. What do we do? This is what Ian would say. It's okay. I'm Sam. <laughs> Ian, oh, no, the, the armies of Mordor are coming. What do we do? It's okay. I'm Sam. Ian, how are we going to get to, Sam, how are we going to get to Mordor? It's okay. I'm Sam. I am Sam. I love it. And I'm here to tell someone today that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And what he calls himself is the great I am. And he is with you in the middle of your darkness. In the middle of your difficulty and shame, he is saying, I am the way. In the middle of your confusion, he is right there with you saying, I am the truth. In the middle of your death and pain, he's saying, what is he saying? I am the life. Jesus is telling somebody today, I am the access to the throne room of grace. I am the grace that was extended to Esther. I am salvation, and I am here for you today in Jesus' name. Now, I want to pray with someone. And if you're here today and maybe you haven't made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, Maybe you haven't met this Jesus that we talk about and this Jesus full of grace. Maybe the Jesus that you know of is very angry and disappointed in you. He sits in a throne room of condemnation. But I want to tell you that you have access to the throne room of grace through Jesus. Every past, present, and future sin can be absolved and whitewashed away by the mention of his name. Would you close your eyes for a moment for concentration and privacy? I'd ask for no movement in this time. And if you're here today and you want to say, Preston, I want to meet this Jesus that you talk about. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to choose to give up my past and embrace the future that God has for me. I want to be positioned for my purpose. I am done living by my performance because it has left me exhausted. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to have to ask you to lift, lift your hand and put it right back down. One, God loves you so much. Two, he died so that you can have life. And three, everything can change today. Put your hand right up so I can see it, so I can pray with you. Put your hand up, put it right back down. I'd like each person here with me to pray these words. Every believer in the house Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being the sacrifice for my sin. And I choose today to give up my past, to give up my performance, and embrace the future 
and embrace the purpose that you have for me. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information about how you can get involved with City Life locally, text CONNECT to 41411. Again, that's CONNECT to 41411. Or visit us online at citylifecenter.org. We would love to meet you.